how everything is put together. That's almost all I ever think about. Like why this microphone is shaped the way it's shaped. Monthly. Like why the city is designed the way it is. Daily. Like why we put together the structure of this podcast the way we did. Literally my every waking minute. Good, because I decided to reach out to our audience and organise some participatory planning sessions, looking into how we put the podcast together and seeing what they want on this podcast, Urban Arena, a podcast about sustainable and just cities. That's what you were up to this summer? I thought you told me you went the summer sleeping in a hammock and swimming in the Danube. I can uh, multitask. Let me open the envelope with the result of this process. What did it say? Oh, well, that's terrible, actually. It turns out our audience wants us to design a podcast with Lessie Ian and more Kate. Really? Yeah, they, they said they want us to put together a podcast on urban design thinking processes in which, and I quote, Kate interviews someone like Florian Sturenge, a man who thinks about process design, urban research, spatial strategies, and co-planning in neighborhoods and cities. That is a very, very specific request. Well, the audience is always right. You better go and do it then. <laughs> on it. Florian, thank you so much for joining us at the Urban Arena podcast. I would love to start at the very, very beginning. You have an undergraduate degree in economics, um, but then you kind of took a path into urban design. Would love to learn how you made that transition and, and what was the point in your life when you became interested in urban design? Um, first, great to be here. Uh, well, that's that's far back. Uh, actually, my first degree was not economics. Uh, it was economic psychology. So it was a psychology degree, but we didn't have the clinical stuff, but we focused on systemic issues, on how people interact in the business world. And I did focus on the economic side more than the, let's call it, small business side. So what I was interested in then was already systemic um conditions and consequences of, of different things and how they interact. So I looked at behavioral economics and how people do not always act as rational as they hope and how that, um, yeah, what consequences are caused by these flaws and these biases. So that's where I started. That was my undergrad, which I finished 2009, 2010. And then uh, I left my studies and I'm not sure maybe some of you know, um, leaving university, but knowing that you won't be working in that one particular job, but you're interested in other fields and you're interested in working at fields that are in between different fields. And uh, so I started looking at actually renewable energies and I started looking at sustainable issues in society. So that was not really what I was trained for, but started working um, in a project around electric mobility these mobility things led me to cities and then cities going back to my initial motivation for this part of psychology in cities. I, I looked at the systemic issues, how different areas can counteract, how they can influence. And then through mobility, yeah, I stumbled into urban issues and started making my own small projects there. I think this gives me a good kind of understanding of your path to urban design, which is a quite distinctive one, I think. Um, and kind of following in the trend of your distinctive way of getting into urban design, I also think you have quite a distinctive understanding of what urban design is meant for and how you understand the city as a concept. 
That's a good point. And uh, I think every one of us wears his or her own glasses and thereby you bring your own perspective. And um, when I think about and I um, aim at making cities for people, then my particular glasses is always thinking in processes. It is not so much thinking of a specific form of a specific outcome, um, how an architect would like to give shape to a neighborhood, to a block to a house sometimes i'd rather be the one who who likes to contribute what kind of process with whatever specific outcome then later might be there but what process can bring the different stakeholders together what process can ensure participation as good as we can achieve it in this certain project and uh, how to have as many voices heard as possible and for that, I, together with my very small firm, with my two colleagues who actually do are architects together, yeah, we think about projects as to be um, process, people, form, all that together. That's maybe my approach. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, would love to switch kind of to maybe more practical work. Um, you um, worked on a city planning project in Potsdam. Um, could you expand on what, what the city project was and, and, and what your role in that was? Yeah, of course. I was asked to support the city in a, in a certain development project in one suburb. That's the, who of you knows Potsdam might know that it's a rich city. It's a super beautiful, historic inner city. It's maybe a, I think they call themselves sometimes like city of the rich and the beautiful. Then I had one planner um, she was working there, I think for 40 years in administration until last year. And she said about the suburb that we were working in. So if Potsdam is the city of the rich and the beautiful, then definitely we are working with the beautiful here because it's the most disadvantaged neighborhood. It is a home to 9,000 inhabitants. It is a um, former GDR prefab settlement. So basically um, housing blocks put into the landscape. In the green, there's some advantages to it, but it's a suburb, like a city in the city, suburb for itself. As I said, um, the socially um, most weak um, residents of the city live there. And then the city thought about, well, let's renovate houses, let's rethink also public space here, let's invest something and make it better. And I really think that administration here has the goal to improve something for the people. And uh, I was asked to support in designing a process for that to work closely and to co-design uh, closely with very different uh, stakeholder groups present there. As you might imagine, in this kind of context, there's many also social enterprises being active there, but also, of course, not only working with the stakeholders would be interesting, but also working with the residents themselves, including them in a process. That was kind of the starting point two and a half years ago, organizing a co-planning conference and um, ever since over the last two and a half years i've been from time to time i hopped into that suburb again and um, tried to be partner for this process of including as many as possible in this planning efforts mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so the process that you kind of helped develop in potsdam was this multi-stakeholder process to urban design. Definitely, definitely. The one uh, responsible on the city side for that, kind of steering the process, is um, 
Well, I think the administration is doing a very good job there, but it's also super complex. So I was maybe a little bit of a creative outsider coming in and then, yeah, designing and facil facilitating and then also moderating like a process that brings together these different groups discussing first, of course, the target, the vision. And it was me and a team then um, bring in certain methods of co-planning, of collaboration, thinking of tools of how we can kind of raise the right questions, how we can reframe and how you also bring together then 50 to 60 people who most of them are planning amateurs, but nevertheless great experts in their fields, experts about the suburb, about this area, how you bring them together in a productive manner so that in the end, uh, first there's a vision, then from the vision, and that's then the planning, lo planning logic of the city. From the vision, they derived the targets. From the targets, they went into measures. Of course, measures, they calculated how much might that cost. They went into the budgeting and then back and forth. And it is us then sometimes helping them to reframe also the different scales of the questions, not to get lost into like, now we have these 56 sub-projects and that they together will make a great process. And sometimes it's also necessary to, to kind of jump back and uh, ask the big question again and see if that still runs in the right direction. And as it probably, as you can hear, um, yeah, it's a complex planning project. And sometimes, of course, we were in danger to get lost in administrative activities. <laughs> as I think all all projects um, have a tendency to to fall victim to, but I uh, wanted to shed some more light on this process um, from the point of view of a resident of this suburb. So, say I was a resident of the suburb, how would the city of Potsdam, in the making of this project, interact with me? <laughs> um, very good. You put your finger in the wound. Um, <laughs> I have to say, although. I really like that project and uh, I'm totally, totally sure that we could contribute some valuable methods and some process thinking into this design planning process. I am also aware that, well, on this inclusion element, on this aspect of participation, I think it was not as complete as I would have wished for. So that first. so. How would the city have interacted with you? Well, we had some, the most participation that was part of this project, I have to say, it was probably advocacy planning style. So we had in these, um, let's say, 50 participants in one of these planning conferences, um, maybe only five to max 10 were residents themselves. Most were people who do social work in that area and kind of were there to speak for the citizens, for the residents, to take their perspective, but out of their professional eyes, working there every day. So that was part of a kind of the element of participation. But for the residents themselves, that was your question. Well, through, um, through how to call them, different offices working there, social work enterprises being present there, they would tell their residents they interact with that this conference is happening and they would invite them to come. But unfortunately, there was not an invitation to everyone. There was not a letter 
being put in the letterbox of every one of the 9,000 and invited them in. But it was rather like a planning conference with a lot of professionals being present and only few residents that I have to admit. Mm -hmm. Does that answer mm -hmm. your question a little bit? No, it does. It does. My follow-up question is, is, is why? So I, I would assume that I think there are people within that project who had a desire to have a lot of residents involved, but were there some some challenges in accomplishing that or, or why wasn't that executed upon? Let's be let's be honest about this. So it was not our own activist project, but in a way we tried as holistic as possible, as inclusive as possible, but to be a service provider for the city that we have to admit. And I'm totally sure that, I mean, this is great people, but if you look at the whole, I think every actor, every stakeholder has his or her inner logic. So if the city, which is uh, famous for other things than this suburb, but it has this problematic suburb, the city looks at that and want to improve situation there, The housing companies who luckily most of the housing estate in this area is public so it is not to be managed uh, by the means of max profit but of course they yes. have that planning logic and they they want to have a smooth process so then it's us coming in trying to knead this together and um, which is also the or especially then trying to include the citizen side the resident side and um, But we can propose, let's make a real public, a real resident-focused planning conference. But it might just not fit the planning process of the city then. Also, that's also us. We all have to acknowledge if we open up, if we ask the open questions to everyone there, then we would have to have a platform to deal with the answers. We, we couldn't just ask the questions, say thank you, and then jump back onto the maybe agile, super effective planning process and just ignore what they told us. So it is this intermediate thing that's, that we try to include as many voices as possible without that we are too deconstructive to the higher means in the eyes of the city administration. That's some mm -hmm. reflections about that. Sorry, that can't be more precise. It's just, uh, it is, um, it's complex. I can't put it into better words, sorry. No, 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 no. And I think this is that's a really appropriate answer and, and, and really interesting to hear. I would also think, um, you know, if I, if I were an urban planner really trying to get residents involved, I think there's an issue of just efficiency. And so I bet there's a timeline where you are running against a deadline and, you know, making the effort to really reach out to people who are going to be ultimately, you know, the recipients of this urban design process or this form or shape reaching out to those people is takes a lot of time and takes a lot of energy and, and maybe there's just the budget isn't suited for that. It's, it's great that you mentioned that because I, I wanted to mention the, uh, the term of outreach participation, which of course would be the best if we could really knock doors, if we could really start conversation, if we could really interact with the people that are there that later have to live in the consequences that are, you know, uh, content to this planning, um, that would be the best. But then we really would have to, and maybe that, that leads over to how I understand my role or our role very often, which is translating, translating in between the worlds. 
And then if, if, if we were to translate the whole planning process into the resident's perspective, explain everything in detail, make them first understand how it goes, understand where we are in the process, that would have to come first. And then they could maybe formulate their questions, their needs, their wishes. But that to make it a complete inclusive process, that would um, would be definitely great efforts. Unfortunately, in this process, we couldn't make it as complete as I wish to wish it to be. But uh, yeah, this translation role is super important, and we try to make it as good as possible. And we we work on going from one planning conference to the next. We aim at having more residents there, maybe more than just ten or twenty percent um, residents present uh, within the participants. But it's not too easy, as you say, if it's about budgeting, if it's about a planning process with a tight uh, mm -hmm. timeline. And yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so in addition to kind of this translating role that you have, I think there's another role of and, and, and you can put, feel free to push back on this. But I think there's another role where maybe an, a, a resident in this specific suburb of Potsdam doesn't have the same goals as the city of Potsdam itself or the environmentalist who's in charge of environmental challenges in Potsdam. So there are kind of different goals and different ambitions with some an urban design project like that. How, how do you make sure that you know, one doesn't beat out the other? Definitely, that's totally right. Um, to put it in my own words, and please tell me if I understood it correctly, um, even if we would have resources, time and everything, everything to to listen to all of the residents these 9000 resident residents there they would not speak with one voice so mm -hmm. we would probably get 9000 voices um 5000 different wishes most of them contradicting <laughs> and then listening to the side of the officials the organized let's call them the organized stakeholders might them be units of administration housing companies social workers social enterprises being present there um, there's different definitely different voices also sometimes pulling in different directions and you're totally right we also have the department um, for the environment and climate protection um, the department of the city present there of course pushing into the direction that where then the housing companies would sometimes want to step back and say well we can't do this here in this way so all these different voices, what did we do? Um, going back to the very beginning of the process where we onboarded, uh, it was the second planning conference where we worked on a vision. And then we tried to have all voices, also as much as possible the residents' voices included when we really sketched together, uh, so to say, a vision of the suburb um, we've chosen. And that was also a proposition by by the city, by our client to, to take the year 2030 and think about the ideas of how how is the city, how is this part of the city to look like in 2030. And we came there with a team to this planning conference, also an illustrator. And we've chosen the, the tool of real illustration of illustrating 10 different scenes, 10 different angles taken onto that suburb. And these 10 different illustrations, which was, a, by the way, a great method of having amateurs, having 
non-professionals talk about it and understand it because it's there in an image and you can just discuss that image and you can discuss details of that image. And parallel to these 10 sketches, we had 10 chapters of the so-called vision of the suburb. And so these 10 chapters for 10 different topics, these illustrations, they were in agreement of everyone in the room. As we all know, a vision, especially if it's about 10 years from now, is unclear. Like it doesn't tell you how to reach that goal. It doesn't tell you anything about the path. So then we, of course, kind of took that and then defined measures to reach that. But I think, uh, yeah, coming back to your question, I think working with illustrations, just discussing images is a way of including many. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It makes maybe makes it more tangible than kind of this abstract theoretical, you know, what's the purpose of the city? What, 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 what should the neighborhood look like kind of conversations? Absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and as you said, I mean, there's, there's so many different factors and different opinions and different almost agendas, you know, involved in collaborative city development. But, you know, I think the alternative where a few make the decision for many isn't the solution. So it really is about kind of, you know, working on the process of collaborative city development and making sure that that process is genuine and thoughtful and still effective and, you know, hopefully time efficient. I like that summary. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that's what I aim at. If I I could just ask you about kind of the future of how how you see cities in helping create more just and sustainable spaces, what what do you think city design would look like or what do you hope it looks like um, in in the future? That's a good question and uh, maybe it doesn't come as a surprise, but if I speak of urban design, design, the term design and urban design, I understand not so much as form, but rather I understand as a verb. So the design and urban design for me is an activity. Thereby, I don't have the one pathway, of course. I don't have the one coherent idea of how that might look like. But I feel with this, that's my perspective due to how I work. But I feel that this collaborative design efforts, bringing multi-stakeholder constellations onto one table, into one room, I feel that is necessary. And I have to say, I have not worked with these kind of methods, but when I heard how how this uh, citizen assembly, I think in France recently came up with very ambitious goals about how to change society and how to change economy. Um, I mean, the tool of citizen assembly, not only in France, where it was about climate, but of randomly selecting citizens, bringing them together, and then setting a, an ambitious goal, giving them skills of collaboration, because you would have facilitators in the room, you would have planners in the room, translators, so to say, holistic designers, and then letting a very mixed group of potentially everyone, because it's randomly selected, let them discuss the big challenges and kind of the big answers that we have to give. Mm-hmm. I feel that could really be a way forward. And I, I really, I would love looking at my personal professional next year to, to try out the tool of citizen assembly, uh, because I think that that could be a super interesting mm-hmm. way to go. Mm-hmm. That's one thought. Maybe you have, you yourself have 
uh, ideas about other methods. No, I think that's interesting. So, so I, um, um, I have a, I have a, I have a keen passion for product design, and it's interesting to see the kind of the similarities of how urban design thinks about issues and how you know a product developer would think about a certain application or certain technology to kind of cater to customer needs. Right? They do a lot of A/B testing. There is consumer interviews. There's consumer experiments where where consumers you know, use certain tools and then the, the researcher and the product developer, they, they see how that consumer uses the tool and there's a lot of kind of back and forth to, to create something that is, again, genuinely appropriate for that consumer or for that customer. And so I see a lot of similarities between that and how someone would use a city, a space, a neighborhood. And that hasn't traditionally necessarily been the case, right? I think we definitely see the city still as like the static thing where you move in, you get accustomed to it, you change as a result of the city, but the city doesn't change as a result of you. And then if you don't like it, you can leave. Um, or at least that, that, that's kind of, I think, how people currently see cities. And, and, and the fact that that doesn't need to be the case necessarily, I think is quite a hopeful one. Yeah, I, I like what you're saying, because when I told you I did this, uh, before I went to urban design, I did this one year of design thinking, of design methodology, and uh, thinking a lot about design design theory, and of course also UX testing, etc. I can really connect to that. And if I want to really have a parallel to city, then it's actually maybe it's time that we establish the term of user in the city, mm -hmm. like the user of the city, not only the resident, someone who lives there, but the user, someone who has wishes, has needs, wants to use it. And then stepping back to the to this kind of design approach that I was mentioning over and over, including many, as many as possible in the design process, then we have to accept the user of the city has to be the co-producer as well. And if we have this thinking of what you described from product design, for example, then we come to super interesting things because um, Actually, my, my thesis finishing my, my second uh, time university, I was researching about experiments in city development, about actually the activity of experimenting. And then you come to the point that you have to accept but cities are too big of like make an A-B testing. We can't build the neighborhood in this way once and in that way as a version B and then we test. Um, the city is not a laboratory. It is not a laboratory we can, where we can control all other factors and make specific tests. And also, I think what is different to testing in the laboratory is that actually people are reactive. So even if you would kind of your version A of the city would be wrong, people are creative, people adopt, people um, change what they see and what they dislike. So there mm. we come to a point that really thinking about real experiments, like laboratory style, and the idea of modern science, uh, of modernity, uh, it doesn't really apply to cities. But nevertheless, we should definitely, and that's how it's connected to me, we should definitely think about how can we nevertheless experiment in cities. And then we come to temporary interventions. We come to small scale installations that we confront city dwellers with or that we even create together with the people maybe in public space and we let the people the users interact with it and we observe and we observe also our neighborhoods of today if we we can read 
the kind of, even if it's the city that is never meant to be an experiment, we can read, we can make urban research and read the city as if it was to be an experiment and learn out of it. And then in the next projects that we build, even if there's not enough money to build a version A and a version B, try to learn out of what is there and improve and speak about failures also and discuss that with the people. And I definitely think, yeah, we need ways to experiment more and be thoughtful about the process once again. <laughs> Thoughtfulness is absolutely key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I would think that, I think learning from other cities and their failures and their successes is another way to kind of, you know, more, I struggle to use the word test, but, you know, test what solutions and, and, and what mechanism and what form um, is useful and, and what is not. Or do you not see that? Do you think city development should be more of an independent process, you know, with, with that community specifically? I mean, we could now discuss the value of best practice research, <laughs> super nerdy discussion. Um, no, definitely, I agree. Um, as I think uh, we should be thoughtful with the term laboratory, um, because who are we to put city dwellers into a laboratory and then who's the researcher, who is the, who's the guy organizing the lab. And so I think laboratory is inadequate. Test, well, why not speaking about, yeah, the verb again of testing and then uh, understanding, yeah, even it is tests to be tests, like temporary interventions. And then we see public space, tactical urbanism, we see um, testing efforts everywhere. And we can kind of read them out. We can kind of try to understand them as experiments and then def definitely, yeah, why not understanding it as tests? And even if like a suburb um, fails, even if something in a big settlement doesn't work at all, we can also try to learn from it as a failed test. And then as it was never organized in a scientific manner, we would have to zoom out and think, okay, if this was a test, what was the question? What was the hypothesis? So what to learn from it and reflect about this and then translate it into your design doing of today um, and your future projects. Yeah, let's definitely do that. That's where we have to go, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think there is a lot of work done by thought leaders like yourself in using these types of tools and these types of, of approaches to create more just and sustainable cities. Um, so, you know, I guess from a personal view, I am quite optimistic about kind of urban design being more participatory, being more agile, adapting um, and, and solving some of these you know, huge climate change, social inequality, community cohesion challenges that we see today. Yeah, that's a good, good point you mentioned. Yeah, definitely. Well, Florian, we will be tracking all your work at, at VAO um, and you know, really looking forward to kind of seeing you um, further shape urban design at, at various cities and, and maybe your own as well, Berlin. Thank you so much for, for, for chatting with us today. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was a pleasure. <laughs> 
So, Ian, now that I was the podcaster, what do you think about the podcast? I thought it was great. I really interesting. Like, uh, I know Florian. Uh, met him uh, before, and he's a super nice guy and a very thoughtful guy. And I think it was really nice how he was spending a lot of time really thinking about the sort of the the difficulties and the limits of participation, right? Because, or, 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 or and when it gets involved in design process, because I think sometimes uh, it's sort of used as a word. Oh, we want more participation in urban design, or we want more participation in anything, but. Uh, that's like just participation can mean many different things and it's very time consuming and it's very expensive and um, sometimes I think we ask a lot of inhabitants in cities if we say okay we want you to be really involved in you know this this and this you know and sometimes people may and it's a totally legitimate thing to think to, to, to believe if you're living somewhere actually you know what sometimes I want to live in a city where experts have thought things through in a meaningful way and only asked me relevant things that I actually have time to think about and be involved with and just want things to work well. That might not be all people, that might be some people. So I think like it's good. I really enjoyed how um, how you thought about like the sort of the, the complexities of what um, participation actually means. Absolutely. And with participation, I think comes, you know, thousands or hundreds of different ideas and different desires from what you want to get out of a city or a neighborhood. And, and again, I mean, it comes with a huge challenge of having to kind of square all those different opinions and all those different desires with one another, um, which is a real challenge. So I, I absolutely agree that this is a big problem. But, of course, the flip side, where a few decide for many, isn't necessarily No, for sure. And, and that's why you need to think a lot about process. And that's why it's interesting to, to think about process in urban design. Like, when you bring people in, how you bring them in, and all these things is, is super important. But not even, like, just in relating to participation, but just in general, right? And I thought it was also a very interesting thing that he's always about thinking about it. Everything is a verb, you know? Mm. Like, as a like constantly doing things. And I, that's what we always have to think about. Partly because cities aren't static as well, right? And you always have to think about how any sort of process of design fits into other moving parts which are constantly changing and constantly moving which is like you know spinning lots and lots of different plates at once but that's why it's really yeah that's what it's vital to have like to have people like florian thinking through um design processes and how they function at different scales and at different moments as well mm -hmm. and being super reflexive about it when things work when things don't work and so on absolutely and i think that's what i really appreciated with florian was that he was just so honest about kind of what went what didn't go what went well um and and how to improve that process for the for the next stage because i think for something as as vital as a city if you're doing urban planning you know you have a lot of decisions to make that are going to impact a lot of people. And so I think it's hard to maybe admit failure in, in some ways because the consequences are just so drastic. So I did appreciate that he was kind of open about about what worked and what didn't work and how other cities and other urban designers could learn from from his work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm thinking about like process and design. One of the things that we did start to do in terms of process and design in this podcast was ask people to give submissions, uh, ask our listeners to give submissions, uh, like very short sort of uh, urbana correspondence, urban arena correspondence. And uh, we have one more again this month. Uh, and this one is time is going to be from Sophia Silverton. And she is going to uh, yeah play out the podcast. But before she does, how can people get in touch with us if they have any comments and questions and if they want to be a 
Urban Arena correspondent, how can they uh, get in touch with us about that as well? Yes, you can email us through the contact form found at our website, urban-arena.eu, or you can email us at urban at ceu.edu. And we're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram at the handle at arena underscore urban. All righty. So let's listen to Sophia. When I imagine the ideal, sustainable, and just city, I first of all think about a city as a place where decision-making in both public and private spheres includes environmental and social equity concerns as very important um, considerations. So it thinks of them as a lens that's applied on top of other issues or within other sectors which would otherwise not consider sustainability and justice. So it becomes more intersectional in that way. I see that as being a really important part of a sustainable and just city. I also think that a city like that would need to be quite inclusive in policy making and and make an effort to reduce barriers to participation in, in doing so. Since initiatives for sustainable and just cities need to be informed by real priorities and concerns of the people living there. And Finally, I think that this kind of city would be a really active and engaged one where citizens are empowered to make real change. So that's really exciting. So in summary, for my answer to what is a sustainable and just city, I see it as one where decision-making silos have become more interconnected. I see it as a city that listens to its people and one that activates and empowers. This podcast is part of the three-year project Urbana, Urban Arenas for Sustainable and Just Cities. It was funded by the European Union's Horizon 2020 Research and Innovation Programme.